Hard rain on a dark day, pounding on a metal roof, makes you sleepy. But you just bob off and see what happens. I got a surprise for you. We'll crank up this uh, microphone again. Or I'll call on you to pray. Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 16? Some call it the parable of the unjust steward. I'm just going to say that it's the teaching of Christ regarding shrewdness. It's generally agreed by Bible teachers and scholars that this is perhaps the most difficult of the parables of Jesus to study and ponder upon. But it is the teaching of Jesus. It's a simple story. There's nothing mystical about it. It's a story, it's a, it's a parable, it's a teaching for disciples. On in here, he talks about the sons of light for believers. So when he says, when the Bible says that he's speaking to his disciples and then on down there, he talks about the sons of light need to take a, a lesson from this. He's talking to you and me. He's not just talking to those who are gathered around him. This is part of a discourse that has gone for a couple of chapters now or so. And it's a string of parables, obviously. We've seen some of them already. We've come to chapter 16 now. And we can extract some great things. This is practical teaching for believers. This is, this is the, the, what Christ is teaching here is just where the rubber meets the road in your life and in mine. It's very realistic. It's down to earth. There's, 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 nothing, there's nothing such that we would have to extract a deeper meaning from a Greek word or whatever. It's, it's not that kind of passage. It's very direct. Christ's teaching his disciples about shrewdness. Believers have a tendency when it comes to being a believer, when it comes to spiritual life, when it, in our case, when it comes to church, church life, the life of a believer through the week, not just on the day when we worship, but all the, all the time, just, just walking the path of life. Sometimes, many times, perhaps most of the time, we fail to think strategically in a spiritual sense. We are in danger of thinking more about our possessions, our property, our income, 
if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a situation where we've just gotten to where we think strategically about everything but the work of the Lord. Begs the question, how much time, personal time, life, how much of my life on earth, which includes my possessions, we'll see that in the parable, how much of it is strategically invested into eternal things? Well, let's look at it. Now, he was also saying to the disciples, so Christ is focusing on the group that is closest to him, the disciples, not just the 12, but others that are considering themselves as disciples, although that number is dwindling. There was a certain rich man who had a manager. Now, the, the word for manager, akonomen, oikos is house, nomos is law, the law of the house. The man who carried out the law of the house. Maybe your Bible says a steward, it's a manager. It's not unusual in that culture for a wealthy man to have a business manager. He would carry with him as a proxy uh, the ability to do business uh, as a, like a power of attorney or something. He could, he could stand in for his master. He did the inside things, he did the outside things. He was generally in control. He was the manager had a manager, and he was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, we had a prodigal son, same word for prodigal, to waste up there. It's the same word. Here we have a prodigal manager. Accused, it's from the same word that uh, the adversary or the devil, the blessing from Diabolos, he was accused Having called him, he said to him, What is this I hear concerning you? Give the account of your management, for you're no longer able to manage. Now here's what the master says to the one who had been his manager. I want you to get all the books in order. That's what he's telling. He said, get all of the books in order, all of the accounts of my household and my business, and then, having gotten it all together, turn it in because you're fired. So he has this space of time to put together the affairs, bring them into a, a system of bookkeeping so that they can be passed to the next person. Obviously, the master of the house believed the accusation that the manager was wasteful with his, with his household, with, with the man's estate. He, didn't, he managed it too loosely. He didn't do a good job managing the household. So go now and get everything in order. Give an account and you'll no longer then be able to manage. You're out of here. Now, understand, the manager did not have a home of his own. 
In that culture, in that day, that job meant that he lived maybe in a hut or a small house. He lived within the estate of the master. He had his own place. Had his business expenses, everything was taken care of. But when he's kicked out, he doesn't have any provision. He doesn't have anything else to do. So the story continues. Then the manager said within himself, what will I do? For my master is taking away the management from me. I'm not able to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do so that when I have been removed from the management, they might receive me into their homes. So he has a scheme, a plan. He devises a plan. And he goes like this. And having called each one of his master's debtors to himself. So this means that he called in all of the debtors. Those who owed the master of the house, the rich man, they owed him a debt. They had a bill against them. There was a law, there is a law in the Torah, in the Old Testament, which forbade Israelites from charging usury against other Israelites. They couldn't charge an exorbitant amount of interest on a loan. Apparently, they could charge a minimal amount if they had to to take care of whatever they had to take care of in servicing the loan, but they couldn't charge exorbitant amounts. Usury, it was called usury. To get around that, according to records that are written that reflect the culture and the day, Jews, in selling to other Jews, would inflate the price of the goods and include the usury an exorbitant amount of interest against the charge, against the, the people carrying credit with him. That was built into the price so that it wouldn't be called usury, but it was usury. Built into the price. So he calls all of them in, but Christ gives us two examples. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred baths of oil. That's about a thousand gallons, somewhere between 900 and a thousand gallons of olive oil. It would have taken in the season, it would have taken at least 150 olive trees to have produced that amount of oil. Now he's just one of many within the story, within the parable. So the, it is implicit here then that, that there are others who perhaps had oil, as, maybe not as much as this guy owed, but others. This would have been an exorbitant amount of money. A lot of money, 1,000 gallons of olive oil, which was an essential for that day. And he said to him, take your bill and having sat down quickly, write 50. 
I've been around the block a few times. And I have learned that when somebody is about to scam you or scam somebody, they want you to sign the thing quickly. Well, go ahead and sign this, then let's talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Quickly, sit down and change this bill and write 50. And I'm going to cut your bill in half. Now, the next example is this guy. Then to another, he said, you now owe how much? And he said, a hundred cars of wheat. Now that is about a thousand bushels of wheat. It would have taken a hundred acres of land to have produced this much wheat. The point is being made within the story that the man had a whole lot of land. This was just one of his debtors. Had a whole lot of land where he had a bunch of olive trees and a big crop of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So this guy is going to save 20%. The other guy saves 50% because oil didn't have much of a shelf life in that day. Wheat did. So it would have been approached differently. I'm going to cut you a deal here. You take your bill and write 80. Now this manager is still in the position because he hasn't turned in the books yet. He's kind of cooking the books. Hadn't turned them in yet. So he still has the authority to write the books the way that he wants to. So he's taking all of the debtors, and this is an example of what he's doing. This is a sample. One of them gets 50% cut, the other one gets 20% cut. Apparently, he's not, he knew what he knew what the, the trading price of these commodities would have been. He also knew that the master of the house was adding this much for usury. Above any kind of profit he may have made, he was adding this usury. So he would have known about how much this high rate of interest was in carrying the loan for these men to have taken the wheat and the oil and so forth. So he just knocks that off. The story goes on. The master, now this is a shock. See, here's the shocker. It has a, it has a surprise ending. The master praised the unrighteousness Manager, the unrighteousness of the manager, it, sh it should say, or the unrighteous manager, because he acted shrewdly. Now here's, here's where the teaching comes in. For the sons of this age are more shrewd than the sons of light are in their generation. Now think about that. These people in the world, they live in a world of, of dog eat dog and they're having to be more shrewd than the other guy. They're having to look out because they know everybody's trying to take advantage of them. So they're going to avoid that while taking advantage of somebody else. It's just a corrupt system. 
And there are some people in that system who work the system better than others. Now Christ uses the shrewdness of the worldly system to present a teaching to the believers, the disciples, the sons of light. For the sons of this age are more shrewd than the sons of light are in their generation. And I say to you, make for yourselves personal friends by, their, by possessions or the property of unrighteousness. Now let's explain that. Mamana, translated probably mammon or money or something. It's a, it's a rather broad term that you and I would call worldly goods. When back in the day when Pat and I were married, nineteen seventy five, February twenty eighth, about seven o'clock on a Friday night. Oh, my day is getting better. We stood there in the altar in front of the preacher and all the people who had been invited and all those other people who were there up on the stage with us. The last part of the vow was, and with all my worldly goods, I thee endow. I don't know what to say now. That's what we said, though. <laughs> she said, it's kind of funny because I've never had anything to give to her. <laughs> but I promised it anyway. Now, this word that's translated mammon in so many of the Greek word there is, it's, there it is, mamona. Worldly, your stuff, the stuff that you have here. Well, it's, it's referenced here as as uh, possessions of unrighteousness because you can't take it with you. You've heard that. Well, you can't. You saw the picture on Facebook, a hearse pulling a big U-Haul rental. And the guy said, I got to change my mind on this. You know, he was taking it with him. You can't take it. You know, you think, well, I'm, you can't, I don't care how nice you call, your house is, can't send it up because you're going to have a real nice house in heaven. You don't need a car, you're going to fly. All the stuff is going to burn up. So, you know, in a spiritual and eternal sense, what are you going to do with it? Now, the sons of this age are shrewd in that they are doing all that they can do for themselves in this world without regard to eternity, making themselves as good as they can, and that's how they spend their lives. That's it. They don't think nothing up. They're not regenerate. They're not born again. They don't think about spiritual stuff. But sons of light, believers, we're different. Here's what Jesus says. Those guys in the world where they live are more shrewd than the sons of light. I say to you, make for yourselves personal friends by the possessions of unrighteousness, by the worldly stuff that you have, your worldly goods, the stuff that you have now. It is, you see, Jesus gets it. Everybody's got to have stuff. 
You have to have clothes to wear. We live in a culture and in a society where we have to have a vehicle to get around in order to make a living so that we can have shelter, food to eat, clothes to wear. You know what I'm saying. That's not an evil thing. But what you going to do with it? How do you think about it? How do you feel about it? It's a matter of it's a matter of commitment. I say to you make for yourselves personal friends by the possessions of unrighteousness by worldly goods that when it ceases they might receive you into the eternal abodes. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't take it away. That stuff is going to be here. You're going to die. And it doesn't matter what you've accumulated. It's meaningless at that point. Meaning, absolutely meaningless. What was your attitude toward it in your life? Did you put it to work? Did you think strategically in a spiritual sense? Now that's Christ speaking to the everyday life of a believer. We all have in our possession through life something. So what do we use it for? Christ makes an interesting statement that when it ceases they might receive you into the eternal abodes. How in the... Now, you have to put this at where it is in the long ministry to this point. Think of everything we've studied in Luke. And it all comes down to this point, and there's still a lot to go. But at this point, you think of everything that's, that Christ has taught. You think of the great, uh, the, the great contradiction between the Pharisees and the, the religion of the day, Judaism, and the teachings of Christ. Law and grace. You think of how Christ has set Himself in contrast to a religion of works and so forth. I say to you, make for yourselves personal friends by the worldly goods that you have. Because it's going to stop. It's only going to go until the end of your life. And it ceases. But what about the lives of other people? How has it affected what you have, what God has permitted you to have and be a steward of and manager of, how has it affected other people? How have you used it? in a spiritual sense, to affect other people in eternity. You see it? That they may receive you into the Eonios, Eonios. It means the ages of the ages, eternal. Skenos, their dwellings, their abodes. That they may receive you into the eternal abodes. Jesus is teaching us so many things here, but let me just hit on a few of them at this moment. Others to come. 
We're going to develop friendships in heaven, in the kingdom. We're going to have friends in heaven that have been made into a friendship because we have carefully been a faithful steward of what God has allowed us to have. Worldly goods, possessions of unrighteousness. You see, my house, I, I've, we've always prayed over a house before we moved in. We don't want any demons around. We, you know, there's a plumbing demon and there's an electrical demon. I'm telling you. Washer and dryer demon, they're everywhere. We pray over that, thank God. I don't know if the people who were here before us were believers. They may have left some bad demon behind. We pray over those things. But the house is not saved. You understand that? It's just a possession of unrighteousness. It's not righteous. Christ did not die for my house. Because he's building me one that's incomparable. I cannot comprehend. Christ was a carpenter. <laughs> oh me, I'm not going there. So then, how have you viewed what you had as worldly goods? Look, look what the unbelieving people do. They're thinking strategically. They're looking for the only future they have, looking out for the only future that they have. But you, you have an eternity that God allows you to invest in presently. How do you do that? Well, you start by giving to the church. You knew I was going to come around to that, didn't you? That's right. Nearly half of the parables of Jesus deal with money and personal goods because Jesus understands we live in this life. The, the medium of exchange is something that's important to every one of us. I was, I was watching uh, Discovery or something. And you know those people that live in Mongolia and they build these little hut things? And they, they, their, their, their main business is reindeer. I don't know what you do with reindeer, but that's what they have. That's the measure of their wealth. So this guy, this reporter, he's going with them on this long journey through the tundra of wilderness and snow and blizzards. And you go inside the yurt. What do you call this? Yurt? And they're in there playing a radio. They got stuff. You'd think if anybody was oblivious to the mediums of exchange, it would be those people, right? Not so. They're on the fringe and the edge of, of the world, and they still are concerned with the mediums of exchange. It affects all of us. Jesus knows this. How are you going to use it as a son of light, as a believer, as a disciple? What is your thought? 
about everything that God allows you to have? Are you thinking strategically with it? How am I going to invest with my worldly goods into the lives of people? You invest it in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a group of people, bless them. They're in Guatemala right now. Just left early yesterday. Others are leaving later on in the summer. They're going to Dominican Republic. We, we have online programs. It's an expense to do things. To proclaim the gospel. It's just the world we live in. Jesus knew that. So the question is, is this a priority in your life with regard to the worldly goods that God has given you to manage? You're only a steward. So am I. Can't carry anything with you. It ceases. That's the way Jesus said it. It stops. It ceases. But if you live spiritually and you invest spiritually and think strategically with regard to eternity, it'll have an effect such that You'll have friends. You can't, listen, you can't buy your way into heaven. I understand that. But you can become so much more with what you have in this life if you just think about it and strategically invest it in the spiritual sense. So, that when it ceases, they might receive you into the eternal abodes. The one faithful with very little is also faithful with much. World without end. I've had it in my, I've heard it in my life. I've been a preacher, pastor for 40 something years. And I never ask people. If they tithe, I don't, that's between them and God. I know what I do. And I trust God to take care of the work. Daddy told me God don't ever make a bill that he don't pay. <laughs> I believe that. But I have heard people say, I just can't afford to tithe. Let me tell you what Jesus is. And not me, this is Jesus. The one who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much. But the one who is unrighteous with very little is also unrighteous with very much. In my heart, I think you never will be able to tithe if that's where you start in your mind. So if in the unrighteous possessions... You've not been faithful. If your worldly goods, if with what God has given you to manage, if you haven't been faithful with that, who will entrust to you genuine riches? Boy, that's a tough question. 
And if you have not been faithful in that which is of another, who will give to you that which is yours? A lesson on shrewdness to disciples, to the sons of light. Strategic thinking. Thinking into eternity. Taking a lesson from the world and applying it to the kingdom in the here and now. Now, in this group were the Pharisees. They're, they're always there making fun and so forth. So, no servant is able to serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You are not able to serve God and possessions. It's impossible. So where's your heart? Jesus said, that's where your treasure is. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. What comes out first in your thought process with regard to all that God has provided for you and for me? You are not able to serve God and possessions. You cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. It can't happen. It's either one or the other. It's a matter of commitment. Where is your heart? Your thoughts, are they strategic? Are they eternal? Now we have to look at the Pharisees. I'm going on into the next section, but... Now all the Pharisees were listening to these things and being lovers of money, they were scornfully rejecting him. And he said to them, you are those justifying themselves before men, but God knows your hearts. That which is exalted among men is an abomination before God. Christ is saying to his disciples, you cannot be like these Pharisees. They're investing everything in themselves so that the world will think more highly of them. I have a, a 50th high school graduation reunion coming up. <laughs> Boy, we all look so bad. <laughs> Uh. And we have a Facebook page, and I jokingly asked the question when they set the date for our reunion. Actually, it's a weekend thing. I said, does this mean I'm going to have to lose weight and buy a new car? <laughs> now, I said it. Tongue in cheek, I said it. You know, it was just a joke. I don't intend to lose weight. Well, I do, but it never works. And I sure can't get a new car. The point was this. People love to invest in themselves to make other people, I don't know, jealous, or I don't know. Christ addresses it. This was what the Pharisees were doing. Justifying themselves before men, but God knows your heart's. That which is exalted among men is an abomination before God. So let me quickly end this thing. 
Jesus defines shrewdness for us. Number one, the manager clearly saw the issue at hand. How clear is your thinking about the here and now? It's coming to an end, I'm telling you. It's going to end for all of us. What then? He cared for the future. He made provision for what he knew was coming. However we use our possessions precedes us to heaven. When the money's gone, the effects of what we did with it, with it still remain. We must prove faithfulness in little things before being entrusted with bigger things. A person cannot serve God and possessions. We must think strategically with a view to eternity. God owns it. All we can ever do is manage it. Someday, how will I stand with regard to that management? Remember I told you the accuser who accused the manager, the word devil is in that verb. He accused you. He slandered you. He's, he's an accuser. We're getting accused all the time. And the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. But what scares me is that when it comes to how we manage and what kind of a steward we are with regard to what God has entrusted to us, sometimes those accusations might be true. I hope not. I hope not. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He came into this world to save sinners. If you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call on Him to save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is bound by His Word to save you. Would you come today and be saved? Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of this church family. We'll take care of all of those details if that's what God wants in your life. You come as well. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation. It's yours. It's not ours. Use it as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. Would you come?